You're listening to Research on the Rocks, hosted by Madeline Lurano and Molly Lombardi on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. Research on the Rocks focuses on the latest developments, trends, and research in talent acquisition and workforce planning and management. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.h3hr.com. Welcome to episode two of Research on the Rocks. I am Molly Lombardi. And I'm Madeline Lorano. And we actually have beverages this time, so it's really officially <laughs> Research on the Rocks. So we hope you can join us. If it's a, an appropriate hour, or maybe an inappropriate hour, you uh, can join <laughs> us as well. We have a guest today, Mr. Jerry Crispin of Career Crossroads. Want to say hello? Hi. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I just have fun. to tell you, I am so thrilled to be part of your second podcasting. We are this, thrilled. this is great. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me. And and on the rocks. I love it. It's yeah. great. Well, technically we're drinking wine, but still. Yes. Close yeah. enough. <laughs> and we have to say that you are our favorite guest because our favorite of all time. Our favorite of all time. Our number one favorite. Love it. Uh, so we're here today actually at the um, IBM Smarter Workforce event, and so that's why we have the pleasure of having Mr. Jerry Christian with us and Madeline and I in the same room. Um, so what have you been seeing here? Tell us a little bit about what, you, uh, what you're thinking about what you've seen. Well, I, I've, I've only been to a few of these, you know, analyst opportunity or uh, the, the uh, uh, vendor meetings, uh, particularly where both the vendors have their clients as well as the analysts in to check yeah. things out. And I'm fascinated by it. It's, I mean, it's a great learning environment to be able to try to read between the lines of what the vendor uh, claims and says there is happening and, and what is perhaps really happening. And I'm, I'm um, fascinated by the fact that, yes, uh, they've been talking literally all day about the term cognitive. Yeah. So if, if nothing else, we are going to leave here using the word cognitive as a replacement or an enhancement of machine learning, predictive analytics, and a variety of other kinds of things that are coming down the road, AI kind of thing. I actually like the term. I think cognitive gives me a little bit more of a flavor, a nuance um, about something that is thinking. So rather than talk about artificial intelligence or machines learning something, which puts me out there and I think of the robot fish uh, pieces of that, the cognitive piece tells me that there's a thinking yeah. um, activity going on, and I'm okay with that. I will say that I've been hearing this over and over again, not the word cognitive, but I think increasingly we will see uh, more and more tools that have some of that AI piece to them. I think, I think they've been in stealth. I think that they are uh, beginning to emerge. Uh, something like IBM should be, you think that sh- that IBM should be at the, the forefront of that pack, right. but I'm convinced that 2017 will be titled by all of those who do future stuff. Like us. <laughs> will be titled the year of, you know, the cognitive solutions yeah. or the year of AI. Yeah. Whatever it is, I'm convinced almost everyone is going to come out with some tool that enhances that and at least claims that issue. Yeah. And IBM's well positioned because they have the sciences, 
the analytics and the technology, and there's not a lot of vendors that have credibility in all three. Yeah. They've like got the resources, yeah. without a doubt. And I like what you said too, because cognitive feels like a process, whereas predictive analytics felt a little more like a foregone conclusion or a, mm -hmm. or a dictate or a mandate. And I think I like that. I thought too of you know, it's a it's a process that we go through. This is also the first time I felt that um, what's happening here at IBM is beyond what Conexa was. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Without losing the goodness. Yeah. Maybe. No, I'm, yeah. it's not a ne negative. It never was, but I. But it was a merger, clearly. Um, you and know, and, and I think that merger is over. It looks like they've you know absorbed. Uh, Connexa, they were pretty clear on how they will use the term going forward in yeah. the future. They have much more than what Connexa was. Mm -hmm. The issue may be still some some issues about how they integrate uh, some of the old that technology into that future. But I got to tell you, it does feel like it's beyond where it was. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Jerry, how important do you think that Connexa name still is for recruiting clients? Absolutely useless. <laughs> Absolutely, there's no, no, there's no vested interest in Conexa or Taleo or whatever. I don't care. I mean, you know, there's there's all of these major players out there. the The clients today have no loyalty. It either works, and I get customer service, or I am moving on. And and I I can I can prove that with you know the raised hands in rooms that I'm in where people say and where I ask how many of you are serious about moving from what you've got to something else in the next 12 months and the hands go up yeah yeah um, so so it really is an important era I think for many of the major vendors to to step up and say you know if you're spending this kind of money with me this is the level of service I'm going to give you in the future and get them back. And certainly that sort of service and relationship uh, approach is what we're seeing make a huge difference. So having beautiful, elegant, efficient technology is table stakes, then it's what else can you do for me, right? And how right. can we build that relationship? Right. And you're going to have to prove it. I mean, I, uh, we've, we've been through 15, 20 years now of building tools for, for recruiting. And, and fundamentally, we've heard every claim... <laughs> in history, I mean, about what things can do. And the issue is, what do you deliver? And we found a big gap between what we claim the tools can do and what we experience of those tools. And we need to, we need to bring them back into sync, I think, a little bit more. And you've got a lot of clients out there that are, that are in the show me phase, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting time, very interesting time. It is an interesting time. We've at this conference, data is a big topic, obviously, with everything that IBM is doing with Watson, and data is a big topic uh, for Molly and I at Aptitude, but it's also a big topic for you, Jerry. Could yes. you share a little bit about the <laughs> survey and your... You know, I got into this six years ago because for, for really my entire career, I've always been um, a fan of, of thinking about recruiting from the, the eyes of each stakeholder. And it's easy to do for the hiring manager and the boss and all of those kinds of folks. And, and there's a number of things that we need to do for each of them and engage them and build tools for them. But the one that's always been left out, if you will, has always been the candidates. So I've always been a, a tilting at that windmill 
mm -hmm. um, with very little effect uh, for many, many years. And then 2010, we started uh, basically challenging ourselves to see if we could collect some data. And we went out to companies and they said, you know, we're willing to share on this basis. So, so we began and uh, we grew from, I think the first year we had like 25 or 30 companies and they, they amazed us, amazed us with getting 11,000 of their candidates to complete a survey. We're That's not too shabby. 2016, <laughs> so this is, you know, beginning of September 2016, we, we are getting 10,000 completed surveys a day. Amazing. Every day. My interdated geek is jumping for joy. And, I'm, <laughs> and, and you know, we, we talked about this earlier. You know, we've, we were good at arguing over what we should ask. And we still can, can improve, but, but we, we really raised the bar for the way in which we ask information both from both the employers and the, and the candidates. And so we've got now six years of data of, of, of trend analysis that we really have not done anything to because we don't have the money um, and we don't have enough volunteers who are willing to work for nothing for months <laughs> to produce this stuff. So, you need so hiring model. I know we need, <laughs> what we need is a is a kind of a business model for a nonprofit that that allows us to get onto a you know a, a solid foundation. Right now, we rely on the goodwill of an extraordinary number of sponsors who have been underwriting all of this. Mm -hmm. um, so we have now almost a quarter of a million, amazing quarter of a million. Uh, surveys by you know September fifteenth, we that are global. So we have to break them up into EMEA and to um, uh, Pacific Rim and North America. Really, is the bulk of them. It's about a hundred two hundred thousand from North America, and we will dig down as far as we can within the time frame to try and deal with this. But but here's the value. The value is we can we can clearly clearly identify now that there are 40 or 50 companies that are exceptionally better at treating their candidates than others. Yeah. We, can, we can measure it, we can identify that, we can aggregate the practices of all of those as a bench, mm -hmm. and we can give every single company that participated their data, their candidates' data, and uh, the ability to compare that data against the bench. Yeah. Now they have to do some work, though, yeah. right? So well, think about this. Be careful what you ask for, right? Just yeah. the moment you begin to do that, now the onus is on them right. to actually do that work. And mm -hmm. some of them are extraordinarily capable of doing it and have moved the needle in their companies to the point where they didn't win the first couple of years and were really ticked off when I made the phone call yeah. that said you didn't win. Because yeah. mm -hmm. I call every single company that doesn't win. And, and now they're winning. And now they've got some cool stuff going on. But there are other companies that, that don't know how to put that data together. And I feel bad about that. They need to go get consultants <laughs> yeah. uh, well, to so make that happen. For those of you that don't know what, what winning uh, Jerry is referring to, obviously we're talking about the Candy Awards. Uh, which are given out to, based on your survey data, right, organizations that are focused on delivering a great candy Yes, experience. we call them the candies, and the website is T-H-E, so the candies, C-A-N-D-E-S, not I-E-S, C-A-N-D-E-S dot org. Yeah. 
and you can you can get free you know white papers there from uh, the last couple of years and by the end of this year we'll have a new white paper there um, in Austin in uh, the end of oh, mid November we will uh, working with actually um, LRP um, there is a conference that we are working with them to have a track specifically for Canada Experience and we will have an extraordinary celebration uh, of with all the winners and um, have a really good time. I want to come back to one thing you said earlier. We're talking about the questions you asked. This is something Madeline and I talk about all the time. You know, if you ask the right questions and gather the data, then you can do anything. But if you get the questions wrong, you know that's uh, yep. that's a game changer. So, um, talk to us a little bit about your process, and maybe Madeline you and I can talk a little bit about our process and how we go through to make sure we're asking those right questions and sort of the, the investment it takes to get it right. Well, I, it took it took many many hours of practitioners and some smart uh, folks as well to try and kind of engage on what what is it we really want to know and need to know from candidates that help us better understand the context. So first we had to have a context. Are we trying to make candidates happy? Huh. Or are we trying to empower candidates to make better decisions? Right. That's the key context that we operated out of. So what do they need in the research phase, if you will, that allows for them to make a better decision in going forward and applying, yeah. right? So, so that's a different thing than are we in entertaining them well on the website. I can ask a question like, were you really entertained on the website? And I get great responses like, wow, that video of those car chases were really good. <laughs> but that's not the point here. Right. We're not trying to make them happy. We're trying to give them, we're trying to understand that. So we need to ask a different question, yeah. which is, did you get what you needed in order to make that better decision? Right. So a variation on that theme. And we worked with um, PhDs who are experts in survey design to actually think that through. How do you how do you say that in a way that it's that you're going to have a consistent response right. yeah. from the people who read that and they read it quickly and easily? So there's a whole science around that, and most of us don't spend time doing that other than glossing over it. So I uh, we really did uh, tap into some great volunteers to make that happen. Yeah. Which is why your data is so strong. Yeah. I think it is. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of reliability and consistency year on year with the data itself. Mm -hmm. um, and we can, we can say, I believe, we will eventually demonstrate statistically that there are essentially five buckets that impact 80% of the rating that a candidate will give you. And uh, to say that very quickly, it is um, setting expectations and delivering them. It's listening. Listening and demonstrating that you've listened. Okay? Two different Each, things. Two different <laughs> things, but they're connected, yeah. and you need to be able to execute that in a, in a way that's understandable by the candidate. It's holding recruiters accountable at a variety of levels, and we can show differences in NPS scores um, that, that are based on the degree to which recruiters are held accountable for candidate experience as a critical part of their, their card, if you will. Um, it is closure, which is uh, the closure. obvious, you know, <laughs> black hole kind of thing. 
So many um, things in life could use some closure. <laughs> yes, and the last is a little more subtle and interconnected with all the others, and that is the perception that the process is fair. And this is yeah. an interesting one, uh, because there's a lot of ways that you that you can can impact that um, by taking too long to get back to the candidate, so they imagine what else you're doing, <laughs> um, or even too fast to get back to the candidate to imagine that you haven't done the things you should have done to right. assess me fairly, right? right. Um, it could be that you did not. You asked only the questions you wanted to know, mm -hmm. rather than asking them, is there anything we didn't ask you that you think is important to tell us? Because there may have been a reason why they wanted to apply to that specific job, and they're not a traditional person with certain kinds of things, and they wanted to give us that opportunity. And you didn't give me that opportunity, therefore, you know, you operated against me. And so it's, it's those kinds of things that impact the people you do not hire more so than the ones you do, right. but have longer term impact on your company's capability to find, um, attract, select, and onboard uh, new, you know, better candidates. And the customers. It's not just candidates, but it's, it also impacts absolutely. customers. Absolutely. It's, it's whether they refer, it's whether they'll reapply, right. and it's whether they're going to maintain a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. I was blown away the first year by the, by the number that, that um, one particular question which asked, did you have a relationship with the company before you applied? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and we had five or six different ways that you might see a relationship. Right. Yes, um, I have friends and family who work at the company. Yes, I've admired this company from when I was in college or whatever, school. Mm -hmm. So it was that kind of thing. Yeah. And believe it or not, we, we consistently, year over year, are finding that about 60% of all candidates, on average... So, I mean, this is aggregating all companies. 60% say they have a relationship with the company when they apply. Right. And, and so they're yours to lose. Right. Yeah. Well, it impacts everything. And yep. Madeline, you've done a lot of research on the employment branding and how you sort of develop those relationships with people you don't know are going to be applicants yet as well. It's interesting because we look at it from a different perspective. You're looking at it from a candidate's perspective, yep. which I yep, think yep. is more telling because they're getting feedback. They have right. transparency about what's happening. We look at it from the employer's perspective. And what's been interesting to me is we did a survey earlier this year and we asked a specific question. Do you think the candidate experience, and this is to employers, has improved over the past year? Cool. But was it that... In general, or with them specifically? In general, with in their, general. Com with okay. their company. With their, with their company. company. Okay. With, in general, with at their your company. company. Good. At your yeah. company, yeah. has the overall candidate experience improved over the past year? And over sixty percent of companies believe it has. And cool. when you look at the data from, from the, candidate. the candidate's perspective, they're not getting enough feedback. They haven't heard from companies during the screening process, through the onboarding process, through the interview process. So it's interesting to me is the gap. Yeah. There, there is, there's a, there's a whole set of gaps, but you know, one of the things that we're doing is obviously there's a bias in the data we collect because we're collecting data 
from companies who believe, for the most part, that they're doing a relatively good job. They are more likely to the ones who have said it's improved. They're above average. They're above average, and we're showing that the average, the average NPS score for the companies this year, yeah. this year, 300 firms, the average NPS score, which is uh, calculated, by the way, a little bit differently than the traditional approach, but that's a whole different subject. <laughs> that's a different show. Um, but, I, but I've been doing it the same way for six years, and I think it's better than the yeah. traditional approach. So I'm going to argue that. But, but um, the average NPS score is 20, which is actually pretty damn good. Yeah. Actually pretty damn good. The first year, it was about five. Mm. Now, there's no way to say that, you know, because we don't have the same consistency in who's applying right. each year, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no way to make the claim that, that it's improved, can experience is improved, because the average NPS score, which is kind of the intensity around that, um, has gone up. Mm -hmm. um, we have raised our bar a little bit, but I think it's because the companies who come back year after year have been improving right. their experience, but it's a still a small number. This is like, you know, 300 companies out of what? 3 million, 10 million, you know? There's a lot of companies out there. Right. And fundamentally, many of them have not changed yeah. yet. And so. a lot of bad hiring stories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's a, you know, this is, this is a, a mission that I think takes a number of years. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I'm thrilled that there are so many people involved in this now, yeah. um, and and I think I think we're learning an awful lot. And I think that's where sort of research and the data come in to be able to guide that conversation. Right, we're not just speaking from I think and I hope and I, I've seen and I've experienced, but really being able to have that data. It's everything we've been talking about here with uh, IBM and Watson. You know, let's speak from data. Let's gather yes. the insights. Let's talk about from the what I know. Perspectives. Make it actionable. And, and then make it actionable. I think that's critical. I see the difference between companies in how they execute on these different buckets, if you yeah. will. And what we're trying to do now is capture more efficiently the stories yes. um, of each of them and so, Kevin Grossman who ha is one of our you know full-time employees has been um, systematically uh, developing podcasts mm -hmm. with each of those who make up the bench uh, to kind of get at their individual story. And that's great too because the one thing Madeline and I talk about all the time is you, you have to gather the data and you know find and there's what the data says in the numbers but then there's what's the story it's telling in yes. the context of the industry and, and where the where the companies are going and I think that's the, the combination that people are looking for they want the comfort of the numbers but then they want the understanding of the story the execution the story. and the story around that help people or stimulates should stimulate some creative thinking about how I can execute on um, expectations right. that is consistent and aligned with the culture that I want to share, mm -hmm. and and that's why uh, that's why we want to talk about the stories, but not not tell people to copy, but right. to but to be thinking about that. You need to recruit. Cause the other thing is, you don't need to be an attractive necessarily employer to everyone. You need to be an attractive employer to the people you need to execute on your business goals. I've given up using the term best. I talk about competitive. There's nothing best, there's nothing only, there's nothing new. Right, because it's so <laughs> so different. So I just basically say, you know, you have a competitive practice right. that in your measurement is helping you accomplish the goals that yeah. you have. 
but best is you know yeah. amorphous. What does that mean? Yeah. 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 I would say if any in a briefing, if I hear best only or new, I beat someone with a stick because there's no such thing. I've seen it. She's done it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we are running close to time. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you here, Jerry. We it's are such a pleasure to be here. <laughs> this is the most fun. I think the wine is definitely a good addition. We should keep we that. We love for research sure. on the rocks. We love research on the rocks. Um, we're going to be doing some new research, um, talking about culture that Jerry just brought up very soon. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you. Jerry, we're going to see you at HR Tech. Yes. Excellent. We will be there as well. And um, Madeline, do you have any other closing thoughts? No, lots to do before HR Tech. So we will, I'm sure, be reporting from there at some point, Molly. Absolutely. On to episode three. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Research on the Rocks with Madeline Lurano and Molly Lombardi on the HR Hackathon.